This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up? Real MVPs, Ricky Widmer here, along with not the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. I, I feel like he's been replaced and that uh, Dang. Dave Oster has now taken over his spot. Dave, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Excited to bring some basketball news Dave's like, people's way. Dave's like, I'm really excited to bring uh, basketball news people's way because apparently the Nasir Little fan base out there, yeah. uh, we extremely upset them. I'll just even, say, did you watch? By even asking the question of will he be a bust. Yeah. No, it's, it, I respect everyone's opinions, but <laughs> we did address a Almost all of that, mm-hmm. if you actually watched. Yeah. I'm going to call you out, fans. Dave, I had to bring up, because I know Dave was a, li- a wee bit upset. I got a little upset. Um, with was the like, comment section. We made that point, exactly. <laughs> Dave's looking at it. We made that one. We made that one. But we thank you guys for listening and I do enjoy commenting. the comments. It's just, yeah. We're doing, I bring Dave back also, because I'm like, you know what? Brandon's out of town. He's on a sabbatical. And uh, I need somebody who can bring me. The basketball knowledge, just a plethora yeah. of basketball knowledge in his head. And I was like, too first, much free time. First, I called Mark Weber and I was like, you know, Mark, and Mark couldn't do it. No, I'm kidding. Dave is the first one I call. Yeah. Dave's the one I bring in. And this is a special time because it's a second first for you on the podcast. A second Let, first? Well, last week was your first appearance PTP. on the podcast. Confirmed. Yep. This is your first ever big board. That's true. Your first NBA big board true, true, out true. of the mind of Dave Oster. We're going to be doing our NBA big board today if you're. New to how we do it, we go 25 through 1, not 1 through 25, 25 through 1, splitting them up into three segments each. Before we get into it, got to pitch the Patreon page, got to pump and say thank you to our patrons. You can become one down below in the description. We cannot do what we do without our patrons each and every day. And then before we get into it, Dave, I think I'm sending a message with this shirt because this Mm. is officially... The first podcast, the first video Mm -hmm. that MVP Nation is going to hear in 2019. Oh, nice. Am I saying that we're just going to burn it down in 2019? We could. Is that what we're doing? Just could just be doing it. We're burning it down. We're burning it down. But 2019, thank you guys for another great 2018. Hoping 2019 is just as great with you guys. So, Dave, how we do it is we're going to start 16 through 25, much like a big board. You're used to that. So, I'll let you take it first. Sure. Take us through 25 through 16 for your big board. Sure. At number 25, I have uh, one of the guys I really liked at the end of last year. He's not young, but mm-hmm. Cassius Winston out of Michigan State. 24, I've got Naz Reed out of LSU. 23, I've got Trey Jones out of Duke. 22, I got KZ Akpala out of Stanford. 21, I've got Daniel Gafford out of Arkansas. At 20, I've got Brandon Clark out of Gonzaga. 19, I've got Jonte Porter out of Mizzou. Still hurt, going to be hurt all year, but he's still worth putting on a board. Uh, 18, I have Jackson Hayes out of Texas. 17, I've got Charles Basie. And 16, as a surprise to some, Lugan Stort out of ASU Fallen. Well, and I'll just say Dort, uh, a little bit higher on mine after he was not on mine at all in the 1.0 for my 16 through 25. Going to start off at number 25, Killian Tilly, the big man out of Gonzaga. Then at number 24, a really big faller. Would have been top five if we did it preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, now has fallen all the way to 24. Um, Qu- Quinton Grimes, the guard from the Kansas Jayhawks. Then a last name. I am going to be completely honest, Dave. Usually I do the professional thing and I look up last names. I'm just going to butcher this one. I've got Ignas 
Bradikis. Bradikis, I think it is. Not even close. From Michigan. Like I said, going to butcher it. Correct me in the comments sure. section. 22, Dietrich Lawson forward from Kansas. Then at 22, Charles Bassey, the center from Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers. Then at 20, Trey Jones locking it down the guard from Duke. Then Nikhil Alexander-Walker, um, cousin of Shea Gilgis Alexander, if I'm not mistaken, guard from VT. Brandon Clark, or Brandon Clark, um, forward from Gonzaga at 18. And then 17, Daniel Gafford, center from Arkansas. And at 16, he may be injured, but he's still here. Darius Garland, the guard from Vanderbilt. And the first one I want to, there's a couple guys we're going to mention in this one. Yeah. The first one I do want to talk about is KZ Akpala, a guy that you have on your big board. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't have on my big board. And the reason why I want to bring him up is Brandon didn't have him on his last The last one. I didn't have him on that one. Don't have him on this one. For you, what makes Akpala a top 25 25 draft prospect at this point in the draft year? He is an incredible offensive weapon in my mind. He is someone who's shooting uh, 47 from the field, 48 from three, 76 from the line. He is hitting it from all three levels at college. And honestly, it's one of those things where the real... My my only weakness to his game, mm-hmm. obviously defensively he can step it up a little bit more, but offensively he doesn't look to facilitate often. Like he he has the ability to, but he's but not he a, just he's not look. a point forward, you know. Mm-mm. But he's able to get you boards, he's able to get you points, he can take games over, and that's exactly what I want to see out of him. Obviously he's playing at uh, Stanford, so it's not exactly got the national spotlight on him, but mm-hmm. he he's a very talented offensive player, and I think that you know with his size, his length, that. It's definitely worthy of him being a top twenty-five pick. Well, and it's funny. Or top that, twenty-five of my big board, I should say. It's funny that you look at the assist numbers because yep. you look at his last three games have had a total of three assists. Yeah. Per those games, so he is averaging exactly one. And there's only three games where he's had four or more. He had four more. He had four. Literally the two Kansas, previous to that. Four against Eastern Washington, then he had five to start the season. Yeah against the um, Seattle University um, on their game on November 6th. I just, he's a guy to me to where, what am I, like, I wonder if the, because you mentioned the, he's at Stanford, he doesn't have the national spotlight on him. I wonder if he's going to be one of those players where, I don't want to say it hurts him, but I'm going to say kind of like a, and I'm not comparing his play style to this, I'm comparing like the national spotlight to it, Mm -hmm. like a James Harden. James Harden in college, Arizona State, maybe because they're both Pac-12, but it's like the eyes aren't on Stanford like it has been in the past. So because of that, not many people are going to, plus it was with him, miss some time or miss some games um, because of a suspension. People might have just said, you know what, we're going to take him off our radar right now, which the thing that I think is weird about that is you don't want to do that Mm because against that Kansas game, he had had 22 against Kansas. He has had 16 against North Carolina. That's the thing I'm going to look for when it comes to Akpala. Yep. What are you going to do against those bigger competition? Because right now at Stanford, I'll be honest, they have not had the best of, like, the toughest schedule. Yeah, they had Wisconsin in there. Yeah, they, they had the Florida decent. in there. But Akpala didn't play in those games, so I can't yeah. see what he did against the ranked Wisconsin team, what he did against the Florida team. But coming up now, calendar turns, conference play comes, you're going to be going up against USC that has 
some draft picks on it. You're going to be going up against Arizona State twice, and we're going to see the Akpala-Dort kind of matchup. You're going to go against an Oregon team that's going to hopefully have Lewis King and Ball Ball both on the court, which are going to be draft guys. So to me, that is what I'm looking for from Akpala. What are you going to do against those other draft prospects that he's going to see in the Pac-12? I think he's just going to keep doing the same thing. Honestly, he's just got really good shooting, and that's mm-hmm. that's most valuable. When you have a 6'8 prospect like him who can play the 3, can play a little bit of the 4 as well, Like I look for him probably just to be a guy who ends up being a scoring machine. Like He's going to be able to probably, I think on the year he's putting up, uh, what is it, uh, 17 points. I think he's going to stay right in that 70 mm-hmm. to 20 range. The biggest key for him is his efficiency. Like If he continues to shoot, you know, his three-point shooting improved uh, dramatically. Year one, he was shooting 22% on just 1.3 attempts. Year two, just shy of three attempts a game at 48%. I look to see him continue. As long as he keeps that line above about 42% in college, well, I mean, in he looks to M- translate really well to the NBA. In the NBA, that is key. Like, yeah. That three-point percentage is well, that, even that's more how you, In my mind, that's microscope. how you get drafted. Mm-hmm. Like, you is, get that high three-point percentage. He, if he can take three threes a game, shooting over 45% a game— absolutely has value. He's got good size, good speed. He can rebound decently well for his size. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the assists, it's not that he can't, it's that he's not always set up to do that. So given the system, I think that he can be a passable passer, passable facilitator. It's mm-hmm. like passable passer. Yeah, passable passer. Um, what I do want to move into, though, is yeah. guys who are probably not going to shoot the three well. And yeah. we both have, if I'm not mistaken, in this range – we both have the two big guys that I'm thinking about here. We do. Um, so I have Daniel Gafford at 17, and I have Charles Bassey at 21. Yep. You've got Bassey at 17. You've got Gafford at 21. It's funny how we both did that. In your mind, what goes through your head if we straight through compared 1v1 Charles Bassey to Daniel Gafford? So... I like them both, and I don't know that there's enough to distinguish the two of them that much at this point in time. It's like splitting hairs. Gafford's got another year of college basketball under him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Technically, Bassey was higher ranked out of uh, high school than Gafford was. Uh, He reclassified as well. So I just look at him and I go, I I see probably a little bit better upside out of him being a traditional big than I do out of Gafford. Gafford has good size, good athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just the the thing for me is how how well is he going to be able to play, you know, with a true four next to him at all times, spacing wise. And I think that Bassey for me is the easier plug and play guy. And in college right now what I'm seeing is that they're both very, very close. Like I was flipping through just for curiosity like Oh, let's go player comps from like Tankathon because those mm-hmm. are always fun because they do the per 36 <laughs> for everything. Yeah. And it's just like it's near misses on each side and it's ridiculous how mm-hmm. close they are for every single percentage. So honestly, I think this comes down to personal preference. What do you see each guy doing well and doing bad in college? But in my mind, they're both very close. I just think that Gafford might be the more offensively gifted talent, but I think Bassey's going to end up being the better all around player. Mm-hmm. Well, and. For me, the thing that I look to, and maybe this isn't the best thing to look at, and maybe some people might see flaws in this, but with Bassey, it's going to come down to, I'll call it like the, I'll call it the John Morant rule, because we kind of did the same thing with John Morant, where 
you're at a small school. Yeah. What are you do against the big guys? John Moran against Auburn? We have no questions about him. We talked about him last week. Yep. Had no questions about what he could do against higher talent. I look at Bassey, and the thing that's the asterisk here that people might bring up is, but Ricky, he's a five, not a one. It's easier for a player like John Morant to do better Mm -hmm. because the ball's always in his hands. A a better school, higher talent can take a five out of the game, take a guy who doesn't have the ball in his hands out of the game. But I look at it. Power five opponents. Washington to start the season had about 11 and 12. Good rebounds. Would like a little bit more points. You've got West Virginia, only 13 points in that game. The Arkansas game, many people brought that up when the last time we brought up yeah. Bassey and Gafford because this is the we first the showdown. time we had them 1v1. Bassey won by a point and had 21 in that game. But then, like the last game he played on the 29th against Wisconsin, 19.6 rebounds, where it kind of feeds into what you're saying. He might be. This might just be the well-roundedness of him. Hey, I'm still going to get 12 rebounds, but only have 11 points in this game. I don't have to be the scorer. Whereas I see Gafford, Texas, he had 20 points. Indiana, he had 27 points. Um, Western Kentucky had 17, which was one of his lowest. His lowest is 13 against um, University of Texas San Antonio, which you're looking at that saying, how do you only have 13 against them? And those were the only big ones he's had. Now, Gafford's going to be going up against stronger opponents moving forward. Yep. And that's the thing where I wonder if Gafford is going to be able to overtake Bassey, where it's like, yes, you might see more well-roundedness from Bassey, but he ain't going to be going up against high-level opponents the rest of the way like a guy like Daniel Gafford is. Right, but at some point, stats can't tell you the whole story. And I think mm-hmm. that's where, like, I think Gafford is able to crush stat lines left and right. Mm-hmm. But I think that Bassey is, uh, I don't want to say, like, not going to be given the same opportunities in college, in his school, and mm-hmm. his system that Gafford has. Mm-hmm. That's why, I like, I like how close they are in my mind. Like, they're they're, like, basically, you can't really go wrong with either one of them. And I'll even just toss in, like, Jackson Hayes, another Texas center who I love Texas and their mm-hmm. centers. Like, they've just been killing it <laughs> as of late. Um, but he's a guy who I really like because, like, size-wise, he's fantastic. He's dominant in the paint. He he knows what to do. Like, same wingspan. He's 7'3 wingspan just like Bassie is. But when it comes down to it, he is just straight-up mean defensively. Mm-hmm. Offensively, he's solid, too. Like, he's got—I oh, just— all three of them are good, and I don't think that any one of them has rightfully like separated themselves. Uh, so you're saying it's a more of a lottery personal pick. preference thing. I think right now it's personal preference. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very close all around, though. Because even like defensively, like if you look at, I know you were saying if you go to the compare prospects on Tankathon, yeah. you look at the um, per, what is it, 34, 36, I'm going to get that wrong, per 36. Mm-hmm. Technically, you've got Gafford with a better defensive rating but then you look stat by stat either side it's like yeah well Gafford has some games with four or five blocks yeah but so does Bassey too like Bassey against Gafford Gafford in that might game have an entire team that plays defense well, that which too. matters when it comes to defensive rating and with these prospects too it's with the five how much of that is the player around them but one Four, five, one big guy that you want to look at. Yeah. Naz Reed. Uh, and the word you used before we started I'd recording say, was lazy. I did. I say the word <laughs> lazy because that's what it looks like sometimes. 
he is so gifted offensively mm-hmm. and you just don't see that same level of effort on the defensive end he just kind of looks lost out there but you know his most recent performance i know against the highly touted louisiana monroe like he was in the game for 23 minutes he had 19 points and 12 boards dave spit and say four blocks straight sarcasm like there. he and, and don't let the blocks number make you think that like he he's just throwing down defensively because mm-hmm. he's not it's very much like can what what's close to him like he's not a terrible on-ball defender but he's an awful help defender he's an awful off-ball defender so i think he's one of those guys who it's like i could see him translating to the nba pretty easily as mm-hmm. a like six man come in the game give you that like you know we're chicago fans so i'll just be like the offensive like burst like a bobby portis style like what he was doing for us last year mm-hmm. comes in the game gives us almost 20 points a night off the bench and just pushes that team and abuses guys who can't defensively stand up close to him because his offense is so well polished. Mm -hmm. The thing I love about him is the fact that he might not have that three-point shot down yet, but he's taken a shot at it. He's putting up the attempts. He's put up 35 three-pointers this year, hitting him about 31%, which is respectable. I'll I'll drop out there as respectable. But it's the limited minutes and high productivity scoring-wise that really intrigues me out of him because I think that given his skill set, I can see that instantly translate to a mm-hmm. six man, like seventh man on the bench roll, where he can come and give you that instant offense. Well, and for me, just by looking at if you just went through the points, like mm-hmm. through his games, I would look at it and go, there's got to be, there's something here that I need to look into because, like, he starts the year off against weaker opponents, 17, 29, then a Memphis, okay, 11, you still got double digits. But then against, I know Louisiana Tech, he only played 10 minutes, but he plays 22 against Charlton, 4 and 6, before then popping off for 12 against Florida State, then back down to 6 and 8, then okay, 16, 13, 14, and then, wait a minute, you only got 9 against Furman? But you like, had 9 in 19 minutes. I get that, yeah, and it's like, like, for me, I wonder where it's like, yeah, I get, for, like, maybe it's Look at his Furman. usage. Look at his usage. Maybe I'm looking because it's Furman. And if the I ball's get not in his ranked. hands, he can't score. Mm-hmm. And but when the ball hits his hands, he's excellent mm-hmm. at scoring. And I mean, you bring up the three as well. Yeah. The devil's advocate to that I'm going to play is, take the four for six that he had against Greensboro out. That percentage probably oh, dips. Yeah, because I'm seeing a lot of O of twos, O of threes, one like of I said, twos, two of five. Don't care. He's trying. Yeah, I'm giving guys mm-hmm. credit for trying in college. So lazy, but he's trying. He's, That's what we're getting. Like lazy, lazy on effort. defense. Okay, lazy on defense. But the offense is. There. But the offensive game is there, and mm-hmm. it will continue to get more polished as the season goes. He's a. He moves the needle on the offensive mm-hmm. end. Like you're giving him garbage about putting up nine points in 19 minutes. Mm-hmm. 19 minutes isn't a whole game. Per 36 is numbers. True. Go ahead and per 36 is numbers. I'll I'll wait. Mm-hmm. I'll wait. Well, I'd have to go and find him. Oh, okay. Because I, 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 uh... I looked on Tankathon, and Tankathon doesn't let you look him up. <laughs> Let's see. Per 36. You could do, like... I just typed in Nasreed per 36, see if they'll pop up. You can do per 100 possessions if you want to do that one, or per 40 minutes. I don't care either way. Like, the point is, offensively, he's solid. Defensively, he needs, he needs to put in some more work. But... Mm-hmm. He's got good size, and he's got good athleticism. So I think that we've got a whole lot of games to go this year. He's got a lot of room to prove himself. Mm -hmm. Well, and the last thing I'll ask you with that is the defensive thing. Is is it like if you're a coach, are you sitting there going, I could get this guy to try on defense? Or are you looking at it going, you know what, I might pass on this guy because, yes, offensively he's there, 
but I can't get you to want to play defense. I can't get you to want to do it if you don't want to do it. I mean, we've seen effort issues from top picks in the past, Mm -hmm. top bigs in the past between Ja, DeAndre Ayton, and, you know, we're getting mixed results. DeAndre Ayton's looking like he's showing a little more defensive effort. Ja obviously bounced around after his troubles, mm-hmm. um, but never really has, has landed solidly on the defensive end. I, I don't know how to use those two because both of those are top picks. They're top picks. Yeah. And, and I, I know Naz is not Naz top won't pick. Be a top pick. But the point is that, like, when you talk about a big mm-hmm. man with a polished offensive game, like, both of those guys, my yeah. mind's were like, if we're talking the best available, those were the best available and guys. And DeAndre Ayton in college, we talked and about both not of them caring. Went, both of them went really high regardless of that effort on defense. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you? Jabari that Parker. Gonna go, that he's going to go a little bit higher. Jabari Parker. Mm-hmm. Don't get paid to play defense. True. It is an offensive league out there. Last guy, I think he's going to get picked. Last guy I'm going to ask you about is Lugens Dort. And this is a guy that yeah. in our last mock draft for yep. the fast break, you had him on there. I know I did not. I can't remember if Sean did. So or not. disrespectful. Um, I th- Sean did. I th- okay. I thought you were the only one, but Sean did too. I know uh, this is his first appearance on our big boards. What do you see in Dort, and how you might be falling off the Dort train a little bit compared to uh, when we spoke to you at that first? Sean mock draft? had him at fourteen. I had him at uh, nine. Okay. During our first mock you draft, you don't have him at nine on this big board. I don't. Why? <laughs> I don't. Well, he's hit some recent struggles, mm-hmm. and like it's it was honestly awesome to fall in love with a guy like Dort because he plays the game like a fucking wrecking ball. Sometimes Dave's like, I do it all the time. I, I fall easily, in love with someone, then I easily. back off of him. But if you look at his last five performances, it's been really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of I'm sorry, let me, let me hit from the field first. 2 of 10 from the field, 3 of 13 from the field, 3 of 14 from the field, 1 of 8 from the field. Mm-hmm. Against Georgia, Vanderbilt, Kansas, and Princeton, respectively. So, what I'm seeing in those games is, you got to keep pulling the trigger, uh, even if he's not feeling the shot. And mm-hmm. I have to start wondering, like, the, the, is there something going on with him? Because his shooting percentages dipped massively in his last four games from his first eight games. Like, the difference is night and day, and I'm just like, is he is he 100% healthy? Is he all mm-hmm. there? Because you went from being a top 10 prospect in my mind to like, okay, you got a little more project written on you than I thought because you were hitting at a really great rate and your numbers were fantastic. Everything you're doing on the court was great. The problem that I'm seeing right now is it looks like he's forcing a lot of shots as opposed to just taking what came to him naturally mm-hmm. in the past. So I don't know. It, it's quality of opponent really has... You know, they have gotten better. It's no Long Beach State, you know, McNeese State. Like I get well, it. Those those aren't exactly top tier, you know, universities. Mm-hmm. But it's still one of those things where I'm like, all right, your offensive game, you need to take take this time. You got that nice little break right around Christmas. Take the time, conference play, mm-hmm. and let's see what you got. Well, and I mean that's exactly what like the reason why I'm not knocking them too much is the level of opponent did go up. Like, you've got yeah. a Georgia team that is not the same Georgia team it used to be. Like, this is basically a Tom Crean Georgia team where Crean knows what he's doing. Then you've got a Vanderbilt team that, Andy Salad. yes, they don't have Garland anymore, but they still have Chateau out there. They're still a well-coached team. And then you got Kansas. I mean, not everyone can go ahead and knock off um, one of the top teams because Kansas is always bouncing around. Um, and they did. Number one. I mean, they, they've won two out of their mm-hmm. four, but, it, the, yeah, his numbers have not looked great. 
at least he's able to still facilitate. Mm-hmm. Uh, from... Plus, I was gonna say Princeton's a tricky one because they run they run that Princeton. I was offense. gonna say like I know they're unique. Think about it this way: when it comes to Princeton, they were, and I'm gonna pull up the exact score against Duke. That's yeah. the measuring stick I'm using. Is the Duke Blue Devils? Mm-hmm. This Princeton team was only down 13 to Duke at half, and then got blown out 62 to 42. Yeah, or 62 to. Um, 24 in the oh. second half. So it was a 36 or 39 26 game, Princeton v. Duke, with Duke only winning by 13. And it was after Duke made adjustments at halftime yeah. that they were able to blow the doors off and beat Princeton. This Princeton team is not like, yeah, they're not a top team, but they give you troubles. And if you're a guy like Dort, who is not in the same class as RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, and yep. Zion Williamson, then they might be able to give you troubles as well, especially if, like you said, it's he went one of eight in that game with 30 minutes. So to me, that is maybe it was, hey, I got to exert so much energy on this defensive side guarding this Princeton offense that the offense just ain't there, and he only took eight shots from the field. Yeah, Let's see what happens because— what I'm just his, saying. What is his non-conference schedule coming up? <laughs> He's got Utah and Colorado to start, which yeah. should be good ones, and then Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Oregon. I'm just saying when you when you start the season in your first mm-hmm. eight games and you're dropping, you know, shooting splits of like 50, 34, mm-hmm. and then now you're down to in your last five in your last four games, 2014. Mm-hmm. Something's not jiving there, mm-hmm. and maybe it is something that just is going wrong that we do not know about. Any guys that we didn't mention this that you want to give some love to before we move on? No, I feel pretty good about that one. Uh, Cash Swinston. I love that dude. I, I knew you were going to say yeah. that name again. I tossed him in at 25. <laughs> he might not be 25, but he's 25 in my heart. James, like, that's the great thing I love about that 25 spot. It's a wild card. Many times it's like, is this guy 25? No, he might be 28, but I'm going to put him at 25 because yeah. I want to say his name. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think down below about any of the guys we talked about. What would be your 16 through 25? Let us know what you think down below in that description or in that comment section, not the description, in the comment section. But Dave, let's move in. Number 6 through 15. If you are joining us on YouTube, thank you for coming into our big board. If you want to check out number 16 through 25, you can go ahead and do that. It'll be either above Dave in the description. It'll be somewhere, or you can check the YouTube page. It'll be there as well. But, Dave, let's continue 6 through 15. We'll start with yours. Let us know who you got, 15 through 6. Sure thing. At number 15, I have Seku Dimboya playing internationally. Uh, 14, I've got Nikhil Alexander-Walker, guard out of Virginia Tech. At 13, I've got Romeo Langford out of Indiana. 12, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. At 11, Darius Garland, obviously hurt. At 10, this year, literal, people might be mad at that, <laughs> just from the last video. 9, I've got Rui out of Gonzaga. At 8, I've got Bulbul. 7, Keldon Johnson out of Kentucky. And 6, highest riser so far, Jarrett Culver. Yeah, no, Culver is definitely a high riser, as he's one of mine that you'll see in a second. We're at 15, the still injured has not come back, but will be coming back soon, Lewis King forward from the Oregon Ducks. I don't understand why you're so high on that boy. I I think that he'll be something special. Not like, oh, top five special, but I think he's going to be something special. Like, he, to me, 
is this year's Lonnie Walker, where it was like injured at the beginning of the year, will come back, we'll be doing something special. I've got him at 15. Then Nasir Little, one of my biggest fallers, uh, he fell from 5 all the way to 14 now, um, where Nasir Little fans will be upset at me for that. Then Sekou Demboya, the forward from France at 13. Um, he only fell one because Lugens Dort, uh, the guard from ASU, I've got him at number 12. Another faller of mine, Romeo Lankford, was at four in my first one. He's now at 11, the guard from Indiana. Then another riser, Ruri Hachimura, forward from Gonzaga. Ball ball falls a little bit. He'll be at nine, the center from Oregon. DeAndre Hunter, the guard forward from Virginia at eight. Jarrett Culver, the guard from Texas Tech, will be at seven. And then the guy we are going to talk about first, Dave, mm-hmm. Keldon Johnson, the guard forward from Kentucky. And this is a guy, after I saw his game against North Carolina, where he put up 21 points on 7 of 11 shooting and hit 4 of 7 from beyond the arc. I was like, you know what? This guy is probably going to rise in my big board. And that he did. Did he rise a lot, though? No, he only rose from 9 to 6. So he didn't yeah. crack the top 5 yet. But what are you seeing from Keldon Johnson that makes him a top five, top seven prospect in the NBA draft. He's a three and D wing whose shot keeps getting better as the season goes on. Honestly, so, so his, the key is shooting. That's what we're seeing here with these prospects. If you can shoot well, you'll be drafted well. And if you can't shoot well, your name's Nasir Little, and you're falling on our draft board. <laughs> Sorry, shots fired. Same with Romeo Langford. True. You can't shoot well. We'll talk about him later. True. Yeah. Um, no, I mean he's just. He's got what the NBA wants right now. Mm-hmm. He is the ability to play really good defense. He can give you volume scoring from the outside. Um, good size. He's like 6'6 with a 6'8 wingspan, I think, they're projecting. So, honestly, so far so good with him. And he's getting all the spotlight games because of where he's playing at, which is wonderful for mm-hmm. his draft stock. I think he's going to have all the chances to prove himself. And like you said, as long as he keeps lighting it up from the outside, my mind, money. Because... Early in the season, his shot looked a little sketchy, a little hesitation in there. Mm-hmm. Not quite a full hitch, but a little hesitation off. Um, and at this point, I'm like, okay, he, he's going to be like, I've already got him being like, he'll probably be like, oh, I don't want to say like eight times in the sentence. <laughs> There's a good chance he could be a, a second or third option on a very good team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he has that number one quality to him, but I feel like he could be uh, solid, solid second man in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And for me, mainly what it comes down to is right now the production that we are seeing, especially like the last three games. Mm-hmm. Utah, 24 points, 21 against North Carolina. And the North Carolina one was big because to me it's like you're going up. Of course I know you played Duke to start the season and you scored 23. When you play those big opponents, you're stepping up. Like – yeah, a, v, a VMI, he only had nine points in that for the 25 minutes that he played. And some people might see that as a negative. Like, how do you not have more points in that game against a lesser team? And I feel like the stock for Johnson is going to rise if the shot gets better. And because of who Kentucky is going to play moving forward, it is going to be hard to not step up for some of these games. He's going to play a good Vanderbilt team. Alabama should be good. 
You've got Auburn, who is a ranked team. They're going to play Kansas on January 26th. They're going to play a team like Florida. They're going to play Tennessee, who's a top-five team. They're going to play Tennessee twice. So for me, that is going to be a really good thing moving forward for him, is that you don't have to worry. Yes, there might be some of those games, maybe like a South Carolina, a Missouri, where it's like, okay, this is a lesser SEC team. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe he doesn't pop off as brightly as he did against Duke or North Carolina. But I can't wait for the stretch that he has Georgia, Auburn, both those on the road, then Mississippi State, who's a ranked team, and Kansas, because I'm assuming him to score bunches in that that four-game stretch. No, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the nicest things that's kind of come out of the season is the fact that Quade Quade Green transferred out Mm -hmm. or is transferring out. Because it gives him more uh, more of an opportunity to run the offense, and I, I think it uh, definitely a, a great opportunity. Unfortunate that you know Quaid's time with uh, Kentucky didn't end well mm-hmm. for him, uh, but he was just kind of defensive liability out there entirely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so his loss, Kelton Johnson's gain, mm-hmm. and I, I think you're absolutely right. He'll have a chance to really kind of take over the entirety of like the next couple games, no problem. See, there's one thing though that. I don't want to say worries me, yeah. but so I've got four guys pulled up on the um, compare players for mm-hmm. Tankathon. Kevin Porter Jr., sure. Jarrett Culver, yep. DeAndre Hunter, yep. and Keldon Johnson. And sure. when you look at Keldon Johnson, if I just scroll down all the stats, he doesn't have a single green button or green bubble Indicating next to anything. Those two go between either Kevin Porter Jr. or Jarrett Culver. Now, the other two, DeAndre Hunter and Keldon Johnson, kind of kind of put the orange one between the two of them. They're lowest on the totem pole mm-hmm. in some of those. Do you think that it's going to be because we're going to split hairs all through the draft? And, of course, I've got DeAndre Hunter at 8. You've got him a little bit lower at 12. Yeah. Is How important is defense going to come into Keldon Johnson's game because we talked about with Jarrett Culver last week. He can put up the offense, but he can also put up the defense. Yeah. You look at a guy like Kevin Porter, who you've compared to James Harden, especially with that step Just, back step that back. he has. Same thing. DeAndre Hunter, the thing we talk about most with him is defense. Is Keldon yep. Johnson going to win out easily against a DeAndre Hunter because he's got a better offensive game than a DeAndre Hunter? Or is it known mostly for his defense, like Hunter, maybe? I mean, DeAndre Hunter is known for his defense, but at the same time, he's also like going to end up guarding threes and fours in mm-hmm. the NBA. Yeah. Like He can probably guard like one through four, potentially, mm-hmm. but he's going to be guarding bigs more so than twos, mm-hmm. in 100% in my mind. Kelton Johnson's going to be able to guard twos and threes. Like They're just different types of players. The difference in my mind is that DeAndre Hunter has a much lower ceiling, much mm-hmm. higher floor than Keldon Johnson um, because he's he's older. He knows what he is already as a player. He's going to be 22 uh, by the draft time. Mm-hmm. Like The value for that isn't very high. Meanwhile, Keldon Johnson's going to be a guy who a lot of people are going to like because guess what? He's not that old. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going to be 20. you got two more years of development to go. So while his numbers right now might not be as high. This is the NBA draft. This is all about potential right now. Mm-hmm. And Kelton Johnson's got that potential to continue to grow. Um, I think his shooting will become uh, more consistent as time goes on. As I said, like his shots continue to improve just this season alone. So I really look forward to seeing what he can do 
growing that, but mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about like defensive concerns one way or the other between the two. It for me it's purely age. Yet like, again, like DeAndre you Hunter's before, gonna guard threes and fours. Because you mentioned before Jabari Parker. Who, who drafted Jabari Parker to play defense? No one. But at the same time, like it, my my point is just age matters, and mm-hmm. they guard different positions. Mm-hmm. Like Hunter's going to be a three four, Keldon will be a two three tops. Yeah, and Hunter, the only one out of these were, I mean, Keldon technically listed on Tankathon as a two three, but really, like you said, would be guarding the. Um, more of those guards rather than Hunter, who might be going more towards oh, the other way. Yeah, Hunter, three, Hunter four. can guard. Yeah, and then you got Porter Jr. Right. and Culver or Culver, who are twos listed on Tankathon. Yep. Pure. I want to talk about one guy though in Ball Ball, where he's a guy where you and Sean did a segment comparing him to KP. Um, go check that out. Still relevant. Really good segment. Yep. Um, however, when it comes to Ball Ball, he's missed a couple games. And there was a game that we were watching. We had Oregon and Boise State on on Saturday, and we were like, oh, man, Ball, why is he not there? And it's like, oh, because he's, he's injured, injured with his foot injury. He's missed three games. The question I want to ask with him is because he's a big, because of one of the things that I've liked with him is how he could run the floor as a big, mm-hmm. because of his body in general, how concerned should we be with a foot injury for a big like ball ball. Very concerned, unfortunately. <laughs> like it's one of those things and everybody says the same garbage because basically if you have a big man who's over seven feet tall, mm-hmm. like their knees, their back, their ankles, their feet, everything's taking more stress than it's the body's used to. Mm-hmm. Especially a player of his uh stature, it it's kind of different though, because he doesn't have like that uh huge like weight going down yeah. on him so like he looks like a stick out there. he's he's still kind of a twig out there so like that's some bonus some benefit of the doubt for him but same time just seven feeter problems with anything lower body mm-hmm. uh i don't want anything to do with it so yes it's concerning no i'm not bringing him out of my top 10 yet uh but it is going to continue to lean that way because one foot injury turns into many feet injuries, turns mm-hmm. into ankle because then he's got to try to change the way he leans. Maybe like it's one of those things where everything starts from the base up. And again, we hope it's just something little and I hope it's not something that carries out throughout you know his career. But mm-hmm. anytime you have a seven footer, you have to be extremely careful about injuries. Well, and the thing that really made me concerned is this articles from a couple days ago where um, Oregon coach Dana Altman was asked about it. They have, um, two players, Ball Ball and um, Abu, who are injured right now. And he goes, and here's the quote, Abu continues to try to get healthy with his ankle. I'm not sure when he'll be back. He'll not play Saturday against Boise. So I'm not sure if we can get him back to start conference or not. It's kind of what when, whenever the ankle's ready to go, Ball continues to be evaluated. And I'm looking at that going, all right, you've already missed three games. You're continuing yeah. to be evaluated. For me, I look at that and I go, I'm right on the same page as you, obviously, because I had him at nine, where it's like I'm not ready to have him fall out of my top ten because of what I know he can be when healthy. Yep. But I kind of almost get this, I've read this story before kind of a situation yeah. where it's like injured big, gets to the NBA, 
injury, injury, injury. And I know that the extreme case that everyone thinks about is um, Greg Odin, Odin because he was a top pick, and obviously you picked him over Kevin Durant, so people are going to remember that. But, I mean, I look at that and I'm like, I am extremely worried for um, Ball Ball's stock because of what type of a player he is mixed with what kind of an injury. I think the only other injury that could have gotten me more worried mm-hmm. is a knee. Like it would go knee would be the most worried, back. foot is the second, well, back too. So back, <laughs> knee, foot, and then ankle is how I would kind of list those. And ankle, I could be like, okay, maybe he rolled it or something. But a foot is bad because you need to obviously step on your feet in order to support your body. Um, knees are very important, but yeah. A back These would are have important. Been, Good a, call. A back would have been um, very bad as well. Let's, Honestly, like for for him, I'm just scared that like Hashim the beat style, like oh. just someone who didn't grow into their body mm-hmm. and would get bullied around the NBA, and that's obviously the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. I know that, uh, but also couldn't stay healthy. So it's one of those things where worst case scenario, I could see like at least Greg Oden was like a brick shit house. Like yeah. that that dude was jacked. He was 35 at age 20. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just. Hashim the Beat's a scary version because he was still he was seven three. He was a blocking monster. He had no offensive game. Mm-hmm. So we're not we're talking a little polar opposite as far as gameplay, yeah. but like body size and shape. He that's what I'm reminded a little of. Bit, he was a skinnier big man as well. He was massive. Skinny. Yeah. Um, last guy I want to mention though is you kind of mentioned him earlier in Romeo Langford. This yep. is a guy that I was hyped on before the season um, because I expected him to be a little bit better um, than what we're seeing here from Indiana, but. Tell us, walk us through where, why you have Romeo Lankford where you do on your big board because you're a little bit lower than lower on him than I am. Where you have him at 13, I have him at 11. Can't shoot from the outside. <laughs> that easy, people. Dave's like, good night, everybody. Like, if my one takeaway from today is mm-hmm. your draft stock in the NBA is based on how well you can shoot from three, that's true. 21% from three. Like, that like, is. That is almost, you know whose numbers that's on this year? Hmm. That's like DeMar DeRozan numbers yeah, this year. Yeah, it is, which is a great comp for him because he works really well in the paint and in the mm-hmm. mid-range. Like, he can get to the basket, but he's not going to be someone who's going to stretch the floor out for you. And if you don't have that ability at the two, which mm-hmm. I, I'm now wondering, is he a two, is he a three? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, a lot of people still project him out to be a two, uh, but he can get buckets. Don't get me wrong. Like he can score points on anybody, but his lack of three ball makes it a concern because you watch defenses can just they can slack mm-hmm. off him on the outside and they can pick him up when he comes in the paint and try to crowd him there. And it's something that at the NCAA level he can still work with because mm-hmm. he's still a better athlete than most of these kids out yeah, there. Yeah, and when he drives to the basket, he yep. can body up some but, of these smaller guys. But when it comes to the NBA, that's that's a huge red flag. Yeah, and I mean the thing that I also kind of look at too is he's not a guy like it would be different if it was like if he had a skill set that was like okay I can still dish out dish out assists and be a facilitator where it's like you know what I might not need a outside game because I'm putting up like six seven eight assists per game where it's looking like like I look say, at there, there's not many people putting up seven well, assists a game in college. I mean, I'm just saying, like in general, maybe I'm maybe that, that's putting really it to high per 36. But like I'm looking at it to where I'm looking at some of his assist numbers, where it's like there are some games Northwestern and Penn State only one assist, 
could you give me a little bit more than just but one? And it's give like, him the fair credit on the other side. He has had multiple games with four assists. Yeah, I mean, but the thing I'm looking at I know you're trying to paint a picture here. I'm just saying. The picture that I'm going with is like what you were saying is if you can't shoot the three, what are you like in the NBA? What are you going to fall on? Because in the NBA, if you can't like, what are you going to be then at that two or that three? And where are you going to fall? Because for me, it's like, yeah, we might put you at the three because you're a little bit taller and your body's there. But if I want to put you at the two, I mm-hmm. can't really do that because you're not shooting well enough from three, but I can't put you at the three because I need you to have better assist numbers and be more of a well-rounded player. Yeah. And that's where Romeo, it's going to fall into like, what type of a player does he want to be at the next level? And what kind of player is a team going to draft him to be on their basketball team? Probably a six man. I'll just say you think it. so. I think I think that's most likely in my mind. Is he he's gonna be, you know, like Lou Will without the three point shot. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he can get to the basket. That's fine. He can score. Uh, his defense has been hit or miss. Uh, I I just don't know. He, he doesn't have a complete game. He needs a lot. He needs to work on a lot. And that's really disappointing because he was someone who was ranked mm-hmm. five or six coming into the season. I want to say he was. I know he was pretty high. Um, well, I had him at four in our first pick. Yeah, game. I was just trying to think of like yeah. the top one hundred, but um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's disappointing. But like, he's really been exposed as far as what his play style is. And like, it's weird too because I besides the three number in this game, like I even brought it up when we did a fast break. It yeah. was like the game against Louisville. Yeah, he had twenty one points, four assists. Cool, I'll take it. Oh, absolutely. Um, went to the line for nine of fourteen, but. The only thing that was kind of like that negative was he went 0 of 3 from beyond the arc. But it's like you don't expect that from his game. Right. So you can't really get mad that he is 0 of 3. Um, his yeah. best shooting day was, what, 2 of 3 technically against UC Davis? But then he's at a 2 of 5, 2 of 5. So the most he's ever made in a game is two three-pointers for the entire game. I just I wonder what is he going to be. And if you use the DeMar DeRozan comp, yeah. I'll even put it this way. Yes, That's DeMar DeRozan is a top player or a really good player in the NBA, yep. but is he that player that is going to get your team over the hump to win a championship at the next level? Especially when we're moving more towards in a league where it's like, if I make the point all the time, if Paul Pierce was in the league now, Paul Pierce would not be the same player that we remember him for being because he was more of a mid-range guy compared to a three-point Still guy. made threes. He made threes, but he wasn't like... His jam was that elbow extended. I know. Um, it's like Sean made fun of me when we were playing 2K. Dave, what's the worst shot in basketball? Yeah. The long two, not the three-pointer. But any guys in this segment you think we should mention before we go on into our numero five, numero cinco? Our no, top numero cinco? No. I think Darius Garland, I just want to give him credit because he's not going to fall mm-hmm. in my mind like... He's just so freaking talented. I don't care that he's hurt. Like, I'm just going to hold out. He's going to stay in my lottery range (laughs) until I see the workouts, basically. Yeah. I mean, workouts will be big. The other guy that I wanted to bring up right here at the end, because you mentioned him to Sean and I when we were out to dinner, a little bit of Sekou Demboya. Is he a guy that kind of just sits where we kind of have him at at the low, early teens, kind of low for this region? Or is there any way he can rise up being overseas. Because you even mentioned, like, the way they're using him. They're not. Overseas, it's they're like... They're just not right now. It's, it's like, really oh, frustrating. you want to be a top pick here, we'll tank your draft stock. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 
in the EU, a lot of the leagues over there value age over um, talent mm -hmm. in cases or proven ta unproven talent because he is unproven. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that he's going to have to overcome is, you know, being a young kid, being over there. And of course, he's, he's played over there for like four years now. Mm -hmm. But the point is that it's like he's not able to take over a team. He's not going to be like everybody wanted to find another Luca. After what we're seeing now, Luca, like, mm -hmm. oh, best Euro from over there. Let's go for that guy. Like, no, he is not Luca. He's not anywhere close to what Luca is. But he's a solid player. The problem is that he's not going, he's not been getting consistent minutes. He's not their number one offensive weapon. He's a defensive guy with a great wingspan who is active. So a lot of it is just you're going to have to watch the highlight tapes from Europe, and it's not super fun to watch your league basketball for everybody. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Scott's going to get their money's worth out of him. Like It's one of those things where he might not go super high on a lot of people's boards because we're going to have limited minutes mm -hmm. and limited situations. But I do believe he has all the tools necessary to be a quality NBA player. My thing that I just hope for him is that he's not – that he doesn't turn into like what we've seen from Frank with the Knicks, where it's like really Frank is twenty. No, no, no. What I'm, I'm going to freaking like, choke people because they're killing him publicly, and I'm like, he's a project. Mm -hmm. well, Let and, the boy be a project. And that's what I'm saying. I hope that when it comes to Seku, that people don't draft him too high, thinking yeah. they have more than what they've gotten. You know what I mean? Where it's like, Luke, I'm glad you brought up Luca because Luca is the exception he's like the greg you have the a, ball ball discussion you have an exception, exception to the rule and that's what he is he was young but he also proved himself and it's like he deserved to be out there it would be it'd be like if you had take michael jordan from like his late career in his rookie year body and saying no we're not gonna play it because you're a rookie yeah, like just, it'd be it'd be stupid yeah. or if you had lebron because lebron as a rookie was ridiculous and you just said nope we're not gonna play it because you're fresh out of high school and you don't know what you're doing yet so yeah, it'll be interesting to see, though. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section about Romeo, Ball Ball, Keldon Johnson, even Seku, because I threw him in at the end, and Darius Garland, who Dave wanted to throw out as well. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. But, Dave, let's close this podcast out, taking a look at our top five for our NBA Big Board. If you're checking us out on YouTube, make sure to check out our 5 through 16 along with are 16 through 25 as well. If you're on Blog Talk Radio and podcast services around the world, uh, make sure to keep on keeping on because you've been keeping on that keeping on all the way through into this final segment. How long can I say and how many times can I say keeping on keeping on? But Dave, we are going to keep on keeping on. Give us your five through one and close this thing out. Sure thing. My five through one starts like this. Kevin Porter Jr. at number five. At number four, I've got R.J. Barrett. At number three, I've got Ja Morant. Two, I've got Cam Reddish. And one, Zion Williamson. It's funny because we've got the same five same five players. One thing is You're just different. being disrespectful. And uh, I'm going to put... To my boy. I'm going to put Kevin Porter Jr. at number five. Uh, ja Morant, Dave's boy, is going to be at number four. And then the Dukies, R.J. Barrett at three, Cam Reddish at two, Zion at numero uno, and Dave, you, you mentioned it last week. Like the tease was on yep. that you were gonna He's put going Ja three. in the top three. They can check out our segment from last week um if they want to know exactly why you're so high on John Morant. But the guy I want to look at is because here's the thing with these top three, top five, is in the first big board, Brandon and I looked at all three dookies because we hadn't seen them play much. Yep. We've seen them play. 
there's no argument that they're all top five picks mm-hmm. in the NBA draft. Here's a question, though, I want to ask you, and this is coming up because of, I'll be honest, a Mr. Sean Anderson uh, put this thought into my head after it's like, oh, do we talk Zion to the Knicks? He's like, I don't want to talk about Zion. Like, Sean is Zioned out, is. basically, when it comes to the draft. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, though, is Zion overhyped? Is he too hyped? Because this is even a guy in the last two games against Princeton, a team we talked about, only had 17 points in the 26 minutes that he had, but he did have 10 rebounds in that game. And against Texas Tech, had a 4 of 9 day from the field, 9 of 10 from the line, yet again 17 points, which isn't the usual that we're expecting from the number one overall pick. It's only averaging 19. <laughs> Are you shitting me? You're, you're picking on him for the two-point differential? I'm just asking, is he overhyped? That's he, what I'm asking. He's overhyped, but he's still fucking incredible. <laughs> I What? Because I can't say I'm bashing on him because I have him at number one. Yeah, like a no, clear number he, one. He is the clear number one because athletically and physically we haven't seen his combination of speed, size, strength, and athleticism. And like every single game there's at least one dunk. Absolutely. And no one can really slow him down. That's the impressive thing. Like his, He's shooting 62% from the field. That's with him chucking up an attempt or two at three every game, which he's only hitting. He's only hit three of his 18 on the year. Yeah. So, let's just put it this and way. In the Kentucky game, he was 100% from three. If he went full Ben Simmons on us, he'd be shooting 72%. Do you know how <laughs> broken that is? Like, can someone respect that, please? Oh, it's man. outrageous how good he is. Defensively, he's a monster. Mm-hmm. Offensively, he, he can get to the bucket, and that's all you need him to do. Uh, he's great on the boards for his size and height. Like, he can facilitate. He can give you steal. He can do everything. That's... What makes Zion special isn't mm-hmm. necessarily like the numbers are just bouncing off the page, but like it's Zion himself. You look at that kid play basketball mm-hmm. and just like he passes every eye test out there. I've never seen someone go up and down the court with such like, I don't even know what to call Like I think Sean compared him to a cannonball like mm-hmm. the one time or a bowling ball, like whatever it is. He, he hits the lane with aggression, and he just absolutely lays it down, mm-hmm. and he loves to play, and he is consistently working to get better. Like, there's nothing in his game where I'm like, yeah, that, that eliminates him as number one overall pick in my mind. Like, are there's people, nothing in this game. Are people, though, going to get bored of him as this season goes on, though? And the reason why I ask that is take a look at the past drafts that we've had just in recent history. Yep. Last year... You could have made an argument. Some people wanted Aiton to go number one. Yeah, they were you wrong. had the Trey Young lovers. They were very that wrong. were like Trey Young should go number one. You had the Euro lovers. If you Luka recall, I was correct on that number one. one. Yeah, there were even people that were saying Marvin Bagley should have been. They number were also one. wrong. There was more of a divide of who's the number one pick. There was in 2017. It was Markel Fultz versus and everybody else. Lonzo no, it was Markel Fultz and everybody else. But like the big one we did was Markel versus right. Lonzo. But but as far as draft stock, like it was yeah. never close. Mm-hmm. It was never close. Then in the draft before that, Ben Simmons and Clearly, Brandon Ingram were the ben, two by far number one Ben was, was the clear though like yep. I don't think anyone had Ingram no. at number at number one overall 2015 Carl Anthony Towns was kind of the clear number it, one it's I would funny because he low. wasn't um 
he wasn't until a couple weeks before the draft. Mm -hmm. Like the last month really set him apart because remember his college stats weren't really crazy. Mm -hmm. Like he was a good player in college, but when they got to the individual team workouts, people are like, Holy shit, Damn, this kid. That's Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. That's basically what they were saying. That that really set him apart. Um, so I just think that yeah. What about yeah. uh I'll throw this one at you. I got two more. Wiggins and Parker. Was Wiggins the clear number one or was there a was there a debate for Parker? There there Let's was say that he never would be. There was a debate, but the whole point was that Wiggins was Maple Jordan. You know, mm-hmm. you wanted basically the next generation of super athletic wing who can do it all for you. The problem was everything had been given to him and he had no mm-hmm. work ethic by the time he got to the NBA. So he's just a good scorer. And then of course the last one, the twenty thirteen one of uh Anthony Bennett. Yeah, there was about eight number ones in that draft. Any like there were numerous guys like Giannis. Looking back, Giannis would probably be no. the number one pick of that draft. Well, knowing what you know now, <laughs> yeah, at I the know time that. Giannis had it was he picked thirteen or fifteen. Yeah, I'm saying um, like wouldn't have that that was a reach. I'm saying like everyone's like wow, that was that's an knowing, interesting pick. Knowing what we know now, yeah, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty. You could have taken Vic at one, yep. and people would have been happy. Vic at one would have made sense you would have, that day. I no mean, one would have questioned And it. he was number two, exactly. which wasn't that fun. That's my point. Giannis <laughs> at number one wouldn't have been, like, even Rudy Gobert. But that, no, Giannis and Rudy were not Giannis go was a buck one, 20 two. in 6'9". No, we didn't know what he was going to be, Dave. I'm just saying, looking back He's the ultra, like, one-off scenario. You're talking about, like, oh, you want to talk about, like, mm-hmm. the golden boy of, like, development? It's Giannis. We've never seen someone go from 6'9", 120. Mm-hmm. And I know 120, I'm being, I'm using hyperbole here. Uh, <laughs> 6'9", 120, and he grew to seven feet tall mm-hmm. and a, and just absolutely yoked out. Like, no, that happens once in a generation. Th- that player development during his time in the NBA, his body size growth, his de- dedication to the game, mm-hmm. unprecedented. But bringing it back to what Sorry, I was going to do get that out. is... Is that a problem with Zion? Is that people like the the reason why people say like they get bored with Zion or that he's too hyped about Zion? You could say too hyped is because well, I do think there are people out there that yeah. are bored with Zion, and maybe it's bored of the oversaturation of Zion coverage. That's fair. Might play into it, but ESPN literally covers one team in college basketball. Exactly, and I feel like there's also a what plays into that is. There is no debate this year at all. Like, if you have anybody else except for Zion at number one, you're an idiot. Like, ja, come everyone, close. Everyone will just call you an idiot <laughs> if you have anyone but Zion yeah. at number you're not one. Wrong. You're not and wrong. I mean, I feel like that plays into it of why there might be that offset that are like, oh, he's too hyped or, oh, I'm getting bored with the Zion because not only is he covered so much, right. there's nobody that can even put their name into the debate. Like, for example, I'll throw in the Wiggins-Jabari or the Markel-Lonzo, because Lonzo was two, where it was like, oh, this is probably going to be the guy that goes number one, but I'm going to try to make a case for this guy to be the number one pick. This year, it's it's going to be John Morant. Like, that's the only guy who can make a case in my mind. Does he climb all the way to number two by the end of the year? I think he can. I don't think there's any reason he can't go to two. Like, I, I'm keeping Cam Reddish there. Mm-hmm. Because of Cam Reddish's body, and I'm hoping that he will start hitting those threes like he, you know, mm-hmm. was expected to do. Being that outside wing presence, who can just basically, he's got the perfect body size for a wing, and he's yeah. in the modern NBA, he has a great shooting stroke. He he can play as your second best player, your third best player, like super humble of a player. Like he he is a great teammate, and he plays great. 
he can play great defense because of his length out there. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen it consistently on for him, but honestly, watching Jarrett Culver just absolutely shut down Duke's uh, wings between RJ and Cam, uh, and I know like it's not just Jarrett at Texas Tech. They're a very mm-hmm. good defensively defensive team from top down. But he runs that show. But goddamn, was that embarrassing for Duke? To mm-hmm. the fact where you have to have Zion and Trey Jones basically lead you to a victory over Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. A, that was that that kind of put it on the map for me, where well, it's like, okay, like Zion can get it done no matter what. Like I don't know anyone who can just go in and just hard stop Zion mm-hmm. Williamson. And that's why I knew last week when we teased it, I knew you were going to have Ja in your top three, but I didn't know which Dookie you were going to have with him and yeah. Zion. For you, because I look back at the mock draft, and a lot of the mock draft you had, you could add fit into it, but I know you. You don't really look at fit. You look I, at the best player. At the, in the top five, BPA matters more than fit. Okay. So because this guy was a top five pick, it was BPA. What has changed your mind so much on why Reddish is now above RJ? Because before, you were the only one that had RJ above Cam. I was, and I think that as the season's gone on and his inefficient shocking continues like i wanted to see growth out of his gameplay mm-hmm. and but you're just seeing a chart i'm seeing well i'm seeing the same shit it's inefficient shots and the looks he's getting like he can get good looks don't get mm-hmm. me wrong but i just end up watching him i'm going well you could have done something better there or a, a lot of his offensive a lot of times he's running the offense which mm-hmm. would be interesting to see like because i'd be encouraged if he could run the offense full time Obviously, they've got Trey Jones there, but he's definitely taking a secondary role to them. Um, and it's just like, I don't really think he can. Like, when it came into the year, I was like, oh, like he can be a, a, a combo wing guard, like everything. He can do everything. Well, mm-hmm. That was my hope of R.J. Barrett. And then I was like, okay, so offensively, like, yeah, he can distribute okay, but he's not exactly a floor general. Um, and then what he's looking for shot-wise, I think he settles a lot. I think he can get better looks. I just mm-hmm. don't think he's doing it, or I don't think that they're they're necessarily they're trying to balance the guys on that team too much, and mm-hmm. we're not getting to see enough out of RJ himself. So it just turns into RJ chucking for himself, and I'm like, I don't want to watch that anymore. Yeah. And I mean, for me too, the thing that I look at is I know that, like you said, top five BPA, but the thing that I look at is the teams within the top five of the NBA draft. There's only two of them that I could see maybe taking an RJ over a Cam. Yeah. And that's the Knicks and the Phoenix Suns. And the reason why I say those two teams is what do those teams not really have the best of? Ball handlers. Yeah. They could have him come in, and although he wouldn't be the point guard that the Phoenix Suns need, maybe he could play that type of a position and take on that role for them same thing with the Knicks. They haven't had the best point guard play. I know Moutier has been better than what they've had before. Trey Burke has been showing up, but he's on a one-year contract. Frank is still developing. Yep. I just feel like those are the only two teams. Cleveland, who's right now at number one, they're going to take Zion. Like, no other question, you take Zion number one. But even like the Bulls and the Hawks, what, you're going to take another ball handler? So for the Bulls, you're taking the ball out of Chris Dunn's hands, maybe out of Zach Levine's hands. And I know you might be saying, well, oh, maybe RJ comes off the bench. Why are you drafting a guy in the top five to come off the bench? That's another thing I would say. And then the Hawks, uh, you have Trey Young. Why would you take the ball out of his hands? 
I mean, what, 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 what I you mean, want me to go just, with that? You with just me, laid out I'm, the case for every single one of well, them there. With me, I'm just talking. Where that's why with me, yeah. I like Cam Reddish because he doesn't need like he doesn't need the yeah. ball in his. We're, hands. we're all hoping he's like Paul George. Mm-hmm. You can put him on any team. He's a Clay Thompson, Paul George vi- yep. vein of any team fits. He just he's out there to play a good defense. Mm-hmm. He can shoot from the outside and he can drive if necessary because he's got a good body size to him. Mm-hmm. I I don't disagree. I just think that. We haven't seen like the reason I swapped it finally just like like I said RJ hasn't grown his game mm-hmm. Cam hasn't really done much either to impress me but yeah. they're both there off potential like and let's make no honest, mistakes what helps Ja a little bit is he's got his own team well not just that My not mind. just that there's he's got his own team he's playing phenomenally even against the higher level talent but also. Both New York and Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was speaking RJ, but I was only doing that because I had Cam and RJ right. VV'd up. If Jaws in the conversation, either one of them should take him. RJ would lose to Ja then. Yeah, 100%. because Ja fits the exact position 100%. that they would need, and that's a thing that could end up hurting RJ Barrett in the draft. I mean, oh, no, yeah. that's more of a mock side of it, but like that could end up hurting him. That you've got a guy like Ja rising right. on so many people's boards. And basically does the same thing as you, doesn't have to compete with other players on his team mm-hmm. for looks and for just usage in general, yeah. and can be exactly what these teams need. Yeah, no, that's that's the biggest thing. It's just he's got the most opportunity, his potential is sky high. Like All these guys have crazy potential, but mm-hmm. you know, Duke's in that unique position where they've got four first-rounders playing on the court at the same time, and they're trying to keep everybody happy. And the only one who looks happy out there is Zion. Because Zion's <laughs> like, getting all the coverage. Zion's getting all the coverage. RJ, I just, yeah, there's something not quite there for me. Like, it's just like, he's good. He's mm-hmm. good. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's definitely still a top top five pick in this draft. But there's just something not there about his game that I don't feel good. Like, he's not in the conversation for one overall mm-hmm. anymore. Like, at all. I think Cam, same thing. I think the only two guys who could be one are Zion and ja. two, give me that 5% jaw. Well, if... I'll tell you this. If the if, Suns go one? If Phoenix sends number one, I wouldn't be mad if they took Ja over Zion. Yeah, I would laugh if they took Zion over Ja. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, it's just Phoenix. They're just never going to have a point guard. Mm-hmm. Like, Devin Booker's been playing out of his freaking mind. The only... And they've got three wings right now. I'm like, why not? Just add mm-hmm. Zion. Like, you know, they're just going to do that thing where there's like, nah, we're, we're not going to take need. We're going to go for best player available. Or I'll say it's number this, one pick of the draft. And I know this is a draft thing, but I'm going to yeah. put this nugget and just leave this nugget for maybe someone to take it down the line. Sure. How crazy would it be if we saw the Suns at number one and they tra- they say, all right, we're drafting Zion for a team that maybe ends up at four and they trade Zion to try to get – like what if it's like Zion goes one, then you see Cam go two, and boom, RJ goes three. The team at four, they go – Hey, you want you want Zion? You want to give us Ja? Take Ja, and give us first round picks. We'll give you Zion Williamson. I don't know that I could give up Zion Williamson <laughs> once you have him. <laughs> like that's the thing is you don't want to be the team the that passed him on him. But even worse than passing <laughs> on him is trading him away. <laughs> but you get more picks, Dave. You get more first round picks. How's Atlanta feeling right now? I know, right? How, how's they How's they Bagley had, doing? Uh, they you know, had Luka Doncic being a great six man. Mm-hmm. That, that's what you want out of your number two pick, right? Six mm-hmm. man. Yeah. I mean, I'm technically sorry. the Suns could have had him too. 
Yeah. Suns could have had Luca too. Suns Aiden's, wouldn't be dead last with Luca. Aiton's playing pretty well, but uh I would uh advise Luca. If you mm-hmm. watch all of our draft coverage from last year, I was I, mean, I was speaking the praise. We could also ask the same question of uh how do you think uh the Jimmy Butler Sixers or the LeBron Lakers would feel with uh Jason Tatum instead of Markel and Lonzo? Yeah. Either yeah. of those teams. Either one instead of, of what they got. More 100%. so the Sixers. Um, because yeah. they had the first overall pick, but I but mean, both of them could have taken him. Last thing I want to ask you though in this segment is the only other guy that is not a Dukey and is not John Morant. Yeah, is Kevin Porter Jr. The K- thing I want to ask P- you with J. him is because he's the fifth spot. Yeah, what would you put his percentage in your mind to keep that fifth spot by the time we get to? 3.0 or will a guy like Kelton Johnson if he doesn't a guy play, like Jared he's not going to be a or Jared Culver will those guys overtake him and we could see a new number four uh if he doesn't play he's not going to be number five for long mm-hmm. that's that's in my mind like he needs to get healthy and that's the biggest thing in my mind if he's not healthy he, there's a good chance he slides because if Culver looks great going forward awesome if Kelton Johnson looks great going forward awesome I think Kevin Porter Jr. is very good, mm-hmm. but we've seen such a limited sample size out of him that I can't say he's like going to be a locked-in top, you know, five pick on this board. It's just, it's not the case. And the thing I'm looking at here is um, there's an article from the Orange County Register, yeah, um, and they're just saying that he's still sidelined. This was about eleven days ago that he's eyeing a late December. Well, December's over. Late December, early January then yeah, at that well, point. Like, clearly January because December's over. We're kind of in that range where, hey, maybe he could be returning. And that to me is obviously the big thing. If, if he doesn't play, does it turn into a ball ball situation where he's missed three games, fell on ours? Or does it turn into a Darius Garland situation of we know he's going to be out. He's stayed pat where it is. And I mean, I know, to be fair, statistically, he hasn't been jaw-dropping mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. It's it's the eye test is why he's there. It's what he can do for you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that necessarily, like, what we saw, Darius Garland was like, okay, this guy's a bucket getter. Like, mm-hmm. period. Done story. I think but Ken Porter Jr.'s got a lot more to prove. expected to be top 10. So, I mean, where he is, yeah. I feel like that helps him. Of yeah, being absolutely. that late teen. Yep. Where it's like, hey, you Play know lotto. What? There's not many guys competing to try to jump you. At no, that it, part. it's a narrow or a uh, it's not a deep draft class mm-hmm. by any means. Whereas so, like, ball ball is out for three days. We question that injury. He falls three spots. Uh, well, he's also a seven footer with well, a foot injury. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> Whereas Kevin Porter could be in that same vein, especially if Kelvin Johnson keeps popping off. Yep. If a Jared Culver keeps doing better. I'll be honest, I almost put Culver above. Like, I know I had yeah. Porter, Johnson, and then Culver. I almost wanted to put Culver at the top just because of that. Like, A, because of that game against Duke. Yep. Three, because when you look at the per 36s, like, his numbers are better than Kelton Johnson's, better than yeah. Kevin Porter. I just don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. But when we get to 3.0, I might be able yeah, to I think, have I think that it's fair. reset. Um, any final things you want to uh, throw out there before I before we wrap this up? No, no. I think it's a lot of this will just come down to uh, the Dukies and see what they do for the rest of uh, conference play. Like, really, that's a big thing is just see what they do against their opponents. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited when we hit conference tourney time, start to see the best out of these kids, hopefully. 
And that is actually, you bring that up, that is actually around the time that our next big board nice. will come out. So the next big board, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, schedule keeping um, for you guys. Next big board will be the February 25th is when we're going to record it. So end of the regular season, right before we get to all the tournament fun. The fast break is actually going to have a mock draft this Friday um, is when we're recording that. So that'll be out this weekend. And then on the NFL side, we've got a mock draft coming up for the NFL on the 15th of January. We'll record that. And then February 4th will be our next NFL big board. So we are getting right into the heat of all the draft coverage here at MVP. Make sure to also check out all the stuff that Dave and I did last week. We talked about John Morant. We pissed people off asking if uh, Nasir Little will be a bust. And then we also talked about Jared Culver as well. I want to thank you guys for checking out the podcast. Thank you guys for checking it out on YouTube, on podcast services. Make sure you go and rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It would really mean the world to us. And when we get new reviews, I read them here on the podcast as we get them. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, I'm pointing at the camera, even though you can't see it. Have a good day and a happy new year, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.